America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. So my oldest daughter just turned eight in June and I really struggled with what to get her. And what I landed on was an iPad. And I know we've talked about uh, my kids' dependence upon devices and YouTube and that sort of thing. And I wanna clarify that I didn't get the, U the iPad for that purpose. I actually got it with the best of intentions. There is a uh, learning platform that they use at school. It's called iReady, uh, and it only is available on the iPad. You can't use it on an Android device, so I couldn't just buy her a no-name tablet and go with that. I had to get an iPad. So uh, obviously school hasn't started yet, so I don't have iReady on there yet, and she's been using it now for several weeks. And uh, one of the things that she watches a lot is TikTok videos on YouTube. And if you've ever seen one of these idiotic TikTok dances, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're, let's give them credit. They're, they're fairly well choreographed. Uh, and apparently there are some uh, entertainment artists, if you will, who are upset with these TikTok users stealing their dances and then making their own TikTok videos. So that's, that's a different topic in and of itself. But I've got my eight-year-old daughter walking around my house doing these TikTok dances. And I gotta be honest, guys, it's it's like a flashback to the 90s for me. Like, I feel like I'm back in a restaurant surrounded by ravers with their glow sticks and the Vicks VapoRub and all of that nonsense, if you remember that stuff. So I tried to, you know, I had to have a conversation with Elise where I had to explain to her what raving was and why it's annoying and why I don't want her doing it. So of course that leads to a bigger discussion of, well, daddy, have you ever used drugs? To which I replied, well, Elise, there's a time and a place for everything and it's called college. So now I've got my kid running around the house doing these TikTok dances and it's just infuriating me. But again, I bought her the iPad with pure intentions educational intentions. And as we've all learned over the last year and a half, since the onset of the pandemic, kids are learning on tablets. Kids are learning on computers. Kids are using electronics in the educational process. And you can fight it all you want, but you're going to get left behind or your kids are. I don't want my kids being left behind. So I got them an iPad. I got Elise an iPad. And uh, when the school year starts, I'll find out exactly how to log into iReady and get all that for her. And hopefully she will be using her iPad, not for entertainment purposes this fall, but for educational purposes this fall. So I know we've talked about kids and screen time before, but I think in light of everything that has changed in the last year, I think it's worth looking at again. So uh, this week I found a 
an expert with Noggin. Noggin is uh, Nickelodeon's junior platform. His name is Michael Levine. He is the senior vice president for learning and impact at Noggin. Uh, he also participated in a very interesting study about what it has been like for families staying connected to the internet, trying to teach their kids, and a lot of folks don't have access to the internet like you and I do. So let's start first by doing a deep dive into their study. Sure. So um, within the last week, Rutgers University and New America, in collaboration with Noggin and other funders, released a big new report that looked at the perceptions and the reports from over a thousand families from across the United States, as well as where we did a, a national survey of their perceptions of learning at home during COVID. And then we spoke to dozens of families in uh, Detroit, in uh, Silicon Valley, and in Pittsburgh about their perceptions. And that research really surfaced something that we didn't know was happening during COVID, which was many, many more families were, in fact, having internet access and device access, but way too many families, as many as 5 million families in America, are what the report authors called underconnected. That is, they did not have the full access they, they needed for their children to have a robust education during COVID. And this study was of 1,000 families with kids ages 2 to 13. Well, let's let's talk about some of the key findings. Uh, you know, how many of these families are struggling, uh, are the kids rather struggling in the classroom because of not having this? Yeah, so we don't know yet how much they're going to struggle, you know, as they return to school, you know, in August and September. But what we do know from this survey is that lots and lots of kids had disruptions in their learning. Uh, and that the disruptions that they had in their learning hit some families in the lowest income brackets the hardest. So of those who are low-income families, two-thirds reported that they lacked access to a computer or another digital device, and that that prevented their kids from participating in class or completing their homework. So, you know, Hispanic, Latino families and black parents encountered these digital challenges more than other families did. We also found that many families did not have the essentials. So access to digital devices was, you know, as you can imagine, never more important than during this past, you know, period where so many kids were learning remotely. So while most kids have a computer at home for schoolwork and home internet access is up substantially from let's say a, you know five years ago. Lots of families, about 5 million kids, still do not have a computer at home and have only, you know, have mobile-only access. So families who do not have this access we're referring to as the underconnected. And in most cases, Daryl, they're citing the high cost of Internet access as a primary reason for their lack of access. And I know that school districts all across the country gave out devices to students. They'd set up mobile hotspots uh, to provide yep. internet access in places, particularly in rural communities and that sort of thing. Uh, did any of that help these folks? Absolutely. 100%. Those efforts were important efforts. And the actual access with devices and to high-speed broadband has increased over the last several years, and especially during COVID. 
but there's still all sorts of important issues that we need to attend to. The national infrastructure bill that members of Congress and the White House are discussing right now is actually in a, you know, a very timely discussion that folks have ha are having because for families who only have mobile, you know, internet access, imagine doing your homework or imagine, you know, applying for health insurance or looking for a job, you know, being able to fill out those forms only with mobile access is really, really quite difficult. And then you also see about a third of the families who are underconnected hit their data limits during COVID. And, you know, they had a hard time getting on devices sometimes. And, you know, families that are lower income families, they have, you know, much less space in the household and they're sharing devices. And therefore, they're, you know, often getting, you know, um, uh, cut off from the internet access that they would otherwise uh, have. So I feel like the two traditional solutions to this problem are either going to be to subsidize internet access for those families that can't afford it or uh, pressure on the market to lower the cost. But, you That's know, right. neither one of those is guaranteed. Does this report address uh, ways to, to, to fight this problem? Yeah. So there are a number of different proposals, as I mentioned before, before Congress and that the Federal um, Communications Commission is already um, considering including, um, you know, the 45-day uh, rule that they just announced, which is allowing for uh, internet service providers to uh, really get incentives to lower the cost of access for low-income families. So there are definitely policy solutions that are underway. What schools and community centers can do is also, you know, important. Um, schools are getting, you know, more resources from uh, the federal and state governments in places like Florida and Orlando, that they can use some of the new resources that are COVID relief oriented to make broadband, you know, available, you know, widely. There's a whole variety of different things that are being done um, in your community, I'm sure. Um, but also, I think that we need to be aware that in addition to what I refer to as in improving the pipes, we've got to arm the people with the skills and the knowledge that is necessary to take advantage of the digital promise. So I think what's changed now is that everyone is knowledgeable about the fact that when school starts, we're still going to need to extend the learning into the home. There is no such thing as just schoolwork and homework that doesn't connect via the internet anymore. So it's become kind of an issue of, we've got to provide this as a utility to everyone, whether it's at low cost or, you know, modest cost, this has become a critical state and national priority. And another subject that this uh, survey addressed, this report rather, is educational media. 57% of those yeah. uh, surveyed found it to be very helpful in their households. Now, when we're talking about educational media, for, for, for the uneducated, for folks who don't know, what we're talking about. Explain to me what educational media looks like. Sure. So most folks who are listening, you know, know something about PBS and Sesame and Noggin and Nickelodeon. The educational media refers to research or curriculum-based media, that is video episodes or video short form or, you know, games that kids can uh, access on their apps or on their on their phone. So things that have an educational curriculum attached to them 
is what we refer to as educational media, that there is evidence that if the child is going to interact with that media for a period of time, that learning outcomes will be supported. Now, educational media do not exist in a vacuum. They often are extended not only by what by what parents will do at home, it's very important, especially for children of younger kids, to ensure that they're monitoring very closely what their kids are doing and supporting and scaffolding what they're doing to extend the learning outside of the uh, outside of the experience. But also, educational media need to be embedded. They need to be put into an educational curriculum that's more robust within the classroom or within the community setting. So um, we like to talk about a balanced, you know, digital or balanced media diet for, for kids. I mean, you're probably familiar with the notion of there being a food pyramid. So one of the things that we talk about at Noggin is the importance of having nutritious educational media as the anytime foods. And then there are snacks that may be a little less educational, but they're kind of sometimes food. They're kind of the equivalent of the food pyramid. Another way of thinking about this, if you're a parent or an educator, is is my child, you know, using media according to the three C's? Is the content of high quality? That is, does it have an educational basis for the educational goals that it asserts your child will learn? Is the context um, being followed? That is, is the media appropriate for learning at home or in a community setting? Uh, it's a lot different to learn something um, within, uh, you know, in, in front of the in, in front of the um, digital device. If it is, let's say, a, a play date with a peer or a learning session with a grandparent than it is to be parked in front of a mindless video game. So the content, the context, and then finally the third C is the importance of the child. Parents and educators know their children best. They know what they're passionate about. They know what they need to you know, learn from the educational media better than anyone else. So is the child situated with their passions and their interests at the center? But as parents, what should we be looking for? One of the things that I, I believe the study shows about um, this, you know, experience at home with COVID is that, yes, indeed, you know, parents and kids benefited quite a lot from having, you know, good quality educational media, the kind of stuff that you would find on, on Noggin or on PBS. But that that by itself is not going to be enough moving forward in terms of the kinds of educational experiences that kids have that will build their social development. So I think the study is, is, is challenging media producers like us to continue to create things that are great for an experience online, but to develop media that can be extended beyond the tablet, that can be extended beyond, beyond the device, so that we've been creating new media such as podcasts or new media such as social development tools, learning to take another's perspective, learning to make friends, learning to make something with a peer, maker tools. So one of the big findings was that social development and emotional development will be a very, very big challenge moving forward. And so media makers are really in position to help parents and educators to bridge the divide 
um, that has been you know left by the lack of uh, the lack of connection and the isolation that we all felt during COVID. So do you do you find that 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 the, the programming now do we need to address things like bullying? Do the, does there need to be kind of an emotional sure. component to what these kids are watching so that there isn't that disconnect? Yeah. So when we asked parents in our survey what is their biggest concern, parents are concerned about learning loss, but they're more concerned about social and emotional development loss. And so, yes. We need to worry about the kinds of conflicts that kids may face when they once again interact with peers, especially kids who are, you know, school age, um, where, you know, peer relationships become, you know, more and more important. But yes, we also need to build up these social development skills like empathy and like, you know, resolving a conflict creatively or without any kind of violence. Yes, we also need to give kids ways to stand up when they see bullying taking place or when they see a kid perhaps being marginalized for the way they look or the way they talk. So I I believe that the social skills that media um, uh, like Noggin can help to model are extremely important. You know, we have at Noggin created something called Noggin and and Sparklers, which is our nonprofit partner, Sparkler Learning, Big Heart World. And your listeners can go to bigheartworld.org to see every single month we're emphasizing a new social skill, making friends, developing empathy, resolving conflicts, dealing with big feelings, thinking about ways in which you can stand up if you see a wrong. So these are all very, very important skills that we're zeroing in, not only with Noggin's characters, characters like Dora the Explorer or the Paw Patrol, showing and you know showing how to do these things, but also with real life guides for parents and for educators to be able to put these important social and emotional development skills in practice. This includes quizzes and activity sheets and um and uh, video, you know, music videos and things of that sort. Do you see an integration, if you will, in the future of having this educational media available to kids outside of the classroom? Are we going to see that kind of blended into the curriculum for kids moving forward? Yes. Um, The genie of digital media in children's lives is out of the bottle. And Educators and parents know that they can't put it back into the bottle. There are certainly intelligent guides for how we can use, as I suggested earlier, research or evidence-based media, either at home or in the classroom. But given the amount of time that children are spending with media at home, and for your average three- or four-year-old, they're already spending three hours on, on screen you know, media or you know, uh, different kinds of ways in which they're interacting with rich media these days. It's important that we take that experience that children are having and embed the best of it within what I would refer to as blended learning models in schools. In Florida, you see this in the Florida Virtual School. You see online learning blended with things like games-based learning, which can be individualized and personalized so that if a child is behind on a particular skill 
we have the intelligence built in to the media to respond and level according to uh, their capabilities. So there are all sorts of ways of using new affordances, new ways in which media are becoming smarter and more personalized and more intelligent, if you will, to create a digitally enabled, digitally facilitated you know, classroom, finally, of the 21st century. I think you'll see more and more educators who have all grown up on you know, using digital media themselves, being more and more comfortable embedding the best of educational media in classrooms, whether they're long-form games or maker tools that allow six- and seven-year-olds to publish something that they can send home during the course of the day. And many of us, uh, Michael, are going to begin living this a month from now. 100%. I mean, we have been through the most extraordinary time period for children who are under the age of eight, probably going to be of their lifetimes. That's the that's the category of kids that Noggin spends the most time, you know, thinking and worrying about. And for those kids who are, you know, experiencing rapid brain growth and development, who are, you know, spent, you know, a quarter, some of these kids imagine, of their entire lifespan, you know, living at home without going to school, more than, you know, one in six kids did not go to school last year who are four or five years old in the United States. Um, the experience of going back to school will require a transition. It will require patience on the part of the families and the educators, and it will require enormous collaboration between home and school. I think our study showed that parents are in much better position to understand the individual strengths and some of the weaknesses of their children, having had a chance to observe much more closely uh, in most experiences that parents have been having this last year during COVID, and also that they know what their abilities are because they've seen what they've been able to do, many of them quite heroic in creating continuity for their children during COVID. So I think we're going to see a lot more focus on connecting what's going on between the home and the school, strengthening the relationships between the kids, the parents, and the other adults in their, in, in, that are in their children's lives, and using media forms, whether it's a communication device between home and school, like you know an educational app, or specific personalized ways of having kids catch up in the areas that they through no fault of their own, have fallen behind. That will be, I think, the legacy of COVID. And if we all band together and realize that the relationships are the most important thing and that whatever efficiencies and engagement we can get from technology are in benefit of strengthening those relationships, we'll be in a lot better place. There is no magic elixir with technology but there's a moment now where we can see its potential 
and we cannot go back. So I think you can add this to the list of ways that the COVID-19 pandemic has changed our lives forever. Kids are going to be using uh, more technology into the classroom. I think we've seen how useful it is at home. Uh, I think it's only natural that the educational industry finds more ways to integrate this into the classroom. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Uh, and hopefully I made the right decision in getting at least that iPad. So that's our show for this week. As always, I welcome your comments. Feel free to email me at daryl.moody at cmg.com. As a reminder, you can also hear me anchoring news on WDBO from 9.30 in the morning through 1 o'clock every afternoon. I thank you for joining us, and I will talk to you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.